Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Transitioning Hebrews 13. So back to the idea of context is that as we read Hebrews, I reminded you um, pretty much every week, and I think it's important, that this is the epistle to the Hebrews. That's what it's called. And by that, it indicates these are Hebrew, I think, Hebrew Christians, Hebrew believers in Jesus Christ who have come to Christ through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, received forgiveness for sins and eternal life. They are in a unique context of this transition time of the ministry transitioning to the church, the body of Christ, in the book of Acts. And this is the context. And so everything we've read in Hebrews and studied is connected back to this Jewish context. They would understand it, just like I knew Casey did that picture, because I know the context, right? So many things here are taken for granted because they knew the context, because it was their context. And so I want you to look today as we look as we prepare for communion. And by the way, if you're new to our family of today visiting with us, you're new to us, this is your first time maybe receiving communion, I, I want you to know what we're doing. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are welcome to share communion with us today. This has nothing to do with being a member or regular participant at our church, but if you are a member of the body of Christ and a participant in the true church, the church, the body of Christ, you are welcome. And later on in the service, I'll be, ask our elders to come forward, and they have the privilege as your shepherds to serve the bread and the cup to you. And I hope you feel this at home today if you know Christ and share in this with us. Verse 10 of chapter 13, the apostle says, We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. And he's going to transition now to some Old Testament thoughts that they would have known right away. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside, I want you to notice, the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Father, as we look at this passage, we just pray that our hearts would be open to your words, to your scriptures. We thank you for the privilege we have and the freedom we have to open your word, meditate upon it, and apply it to our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Now, verse 11, where he refers to this carrying the blood into the most holy place and the bodies being burned outside the camp, the Jewish people in this context would not have to be reminded of what he is talking. They knew right away what he was talking about. We go back to, we're going to go back to the Old Testament for a moment here. Leviticus chapter 4. There's a couple of places we can look at. Leviticus chapter 4. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And if you have, a, a, if you have like a title or a note at the beginning of chapter 4, you may notice it says the sin offering. This is the account of instructions for a sin offering. And it begins, the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, when anyone sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden, 
in any of the Lord's commands. And then he goes on and gives instructions. The anointed priests, um, the people. He knows that the anointed priest sins and brings guilt on the people. He must bring to the Lord a young bull without defect as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. And so as you read through this, you'll find that the, the animal is slain. Now, in our context today, of course, um, you know, I mean, in the, in the Jewish context and in the old world context, in the nations around Israel, animal sacrifice was practiced. And in our context, we don't practice this. It's a little difficult to relate to some of this. But clearly in the story of Israel's salvation and also even prior to that, you find the animal sacrifice. And it is always that, think of Passover, when they were ready to leave the, the, the land of Egypt, and the Passover lamb, you brought, you brought the perfect lamb. You didn't bring the lamb that was going to die anyway, because that is not a sacrifice. That is not, when, we, when we bring our tithes and offerings and gifts to, to the Lord's work and the missions and the ministry, we do not just bring, um, you know, whatever's left over. The idea is to set it aside first, because that's a sacrifice. When you give time to work in VBA and other ministries, you make a sacrifice. It's, it's, supposed to, it's supposed to cost. It's a sacrifice. And in this case here, you, you bring the animal that is perfect. You bring the animal that would cost you much to, if you were to sell it, you could gain from it. And you bring it and you slay it. You kill it. And the blood is drained. And the blood is brought to the altar. And you'll notice in verse 3, Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood, carry it into the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. He used to dip his finger in the blood, sprinkle some of it seven times before the Lord in front of the curtain in the sanctuary. He'll put blood on the horns of the altar of the fragrant incense. The rest, in the next sentence, the rest of the bull's blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering to the tent of meeting. And we see the same thing on the Day of Atonement on Yom Kippur. Yom meaning day, Kippur meaning covering, the day of covering. And you can read about this in Leviticus chapter 16, where the animal, in this, in this particular day, there were two goats, Azazel, one, one for God and one for the desert. And the one for God was slain and the blood was brought and put on the altar. And a bull was slain and the blood was put on the altar in the Holy of Holies. But the body, the, the carcass of the animal, I want you to notice this. Uh, let's go down to verse 10. Just as the fat is removed from the ox, sacrificed as a fellowship offering, the priest shall burn them on the altar of burnt offering, the fat, the rich part. But the hide, we could say the carcass of the bull, all of its flesh, as well as the head and legs, the inner parts and offal, the intestines, that is, all the rest of the bull, the blood, the blood in Israel, as one of the authors that I, I looked at this week said, that the, the, the blood was the only detergent that could cleanse sins. The life was in the blood. And of course, this was looking forward to the cross of Calvary. And that's, you know, God asked them to do that, and they in faith responded. They didn't have to know why, but they in faith responded. And the blood was looking forward to the cross at Calvary, what we're going to celebrate this morning. The blood was the only detergent. It was pure. It was the life. And the blood could cleanse the sins for that year, for that sin. 
But the body, the carcass, which was sinful and tainted by sin as, a, as part of nature that we live in. It says here in verse 12, that is all the rest of the bull he must take outside the camp to a place ceremonially clean where the ashes are thrown and burn it in wood fire on the ash heap. This is the context that the author of Hebrews is referring to. In fact, you'll see this throughout Leviticus. You could turn, you could turn to chapter 6 and verse 11. Then he is to take off these clothes, the priests, put them on, put on others, carry the ashes outside the camp to a place that is ceremonially clean. In chapter 16, about the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, we were in Israel the first time I was there in 1985. We were there on the day of atonement. It was quite interesting. Because our bus driver and tour guide couldn't work because it was a high holy day. And so we were just on our own to wander around Jerusalem on that day. It was very interesting. It was very unique. And we went down the Wailing Wall. And we stood there at, we stood there at the Wailing Wall with all the other the Jews that came and so forth. And we stood there and it was quiet. And as the day progressed, the people came and they came and they came to the plaza that was packed. And at 6 o'clock, the shofar, the ram's horn, was blown. And everybody just quietly left because the fast was over. It's the most holy day in Israel's calendar. And on that day, the carcass of the bull is taken out and burned at this place. That Where is this place? I mean, think of it. We have all this detail about the tabernacle and later the temple with the holy place, with the curtains, with the holy of holy. We have all this detail. We, we, we can even build models for our children and stuff in Sunday school and children's church and young people look at based on the blueprints. We get a pretty good idea. But what about this place? And in fact, you're, if your translation like mine says the place of ceremonial Cleansing, that's really a weak translation because it's really not the word for cleansing. It's the word for purification. It's a much stronger word. You see, one could be ceremonially cleansed, but still not be intrinsically pure. The carcass had to be taken out to this place. We have no detail. Where, it sounds like a dump, frankly. It sounds like a garbage or an ash area. And that's what it was. It was a place where things were burned and incinerated. And that's why the word, the word, the word that's there is machom tahar. It's the word a place of purification. That carcass was taken out outside the camp. You see, in Israel, you have the camp of Israel. You have the temple or the, you have the tabernacle in, in a certain place. And then around that, you have the various tribes and their camps and their order where they are to camp. And then you have outside the camp, which is just what it sounds like. It's the place where the lepers lived. It's the place where you went if you were unclean. It's the place where Miriam had to go because of her leprosy. It's the place, like it sounds, outside of the camp. It was a place of outcasts. It was a place of temporary uncleanliness. And it was also the place in Exodus 33... Where Moses, because of the people's sin with the golden calf at the foot of Sinai, went outside the camp and put up a temporary tent of meeting, and it's where he would go and meet with God. 
outside the camp. It's not the place you wanted to be. It's the place you had to go to for some reason until you could come back in the house, back in our house, back in our camp. And it was outside the camp, somewhere out there, was a place that they knew was the place of ceremonial purification where the carcasses were burned to ashes. Because the only way to purify completely is through fire. And everything is killed. And all that was left were ashes. It's more than just cleanliness. It's purification. And it's this context that the author of Hebrews, if we go back to chapter 13, it's in this context that he's telling these Jewish believers what has taken place. And he's making the connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. And they would have got this. You wouldn't have to explain this to them. They would have got the context. The high priest, verse 11, takes the blood of animals into the most holy place. It is the only detergent that will clean sin. As a sin offering. But the bodies were taken outside the camp because they were sinful. They did not cleanse. They were contaminated. And they were taken away. And there they were purified. But look at Jesus. Jesus does not fulfill this exactly according to the pattern in the temple or tabernacle. And so Jesus also suffered, now notice the first one, outside the city gate. Outside the gate of the city, but still in the camp. He suffered outside the city gate to make people holy, what? Through his own blood, but it wasn't in the tabernacle. Jesus did not die in this, in, inside Jerusalem. He was outside the gate. Jesus' blood was not taken into the tabernacle and offered for sin because the Bible tells us his blood was offered to God in heaven. This tabernacle on earth is a pattern of, where, this is deep thinking. I know this is, this is deep. But the Bible, he tells us, these are patterns of things in heaven. And his blood was offered in the heavens for the sins of his own people and for us. Jesus was taken outside the gate to suffer. Let us then go to him outside the camp. Let us go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace that he bore. The passion of Christ is never to be separated from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The, the phrase here really is, let us continually go out. And I think the picture here is that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, King of the Jews, that when he died, he died outside the city. And the author here says, come and join us outside what? Outside of the legalism of Judaism, not Jewishness. These people were never asked to quit being Jews. That never took place. The Jewish believers were Jews. But they were to walk and to leave the legalism of the Mosaic Law because it had been fulfilled. It was not bad. It had been fulfilled. It was over. It would no longer be sufficient to cover sins because it was temporary. It was a temporary plan. The finality has taken place. 
And it took place outside of that story, outside the city gates. And they were now to come and join and not to go back in the city. And this has been something we've been looking at as we've studied Hebrews. They were they're being warned, don't go back to legalism. Don't go back to the Mosaic law to think it's going to save you. Something new has happened. Come. Come outside the city gate and join us. And they were asked to receive grace and mercy through the only sacrifice, the blood of Jesus. You know, the blood of Jesus Christ was the only ultimate detergent that could cleanse sin. And it never had to be offered again. Jesus' body, Jesus' body was pure and perfect. It did not have to be destroyed. It did not have to be destroyed by fire and purified. It was already pure. It was placed in the tomb. Yes, it was battered and beat. And his life was destroyed in the sense his life was given when his blood drained out of his body. But his body was placed in the tomb. It was not made a holocaust. And it was raised again the third day, victorious over death. And we are called to come with them. And you know, I think as applications, we come to communion this morning. This is not necessarily our story. You and I weren't raised in the legalism of a Mosaic law. But you know, our world, if you look, really, if you look at every other religion in the world, when I say that, I know you say, well, you're classifying Christianity as a religion. You know what I'm saying, I think. Look at any other faith story, and you will find a common thread. You are saved by works. Ask anybody. Very few people will, will, that you know are going to tell you they're flat out atheists. But they're going to say, I hope I'm saved. I've never killed anybody. I hope I did enough good. And that's the story of religions. The story of religion is works. Christianity stands unique. It is the only story where we are saved apart from anything that we do but all because of what He did, for His blood is the only detergent that can actually cleanse our sins and make us new creation. We are tempted. We will be tempted. You will be tempted. Our children will be tempted to go back to legalism, to go back to the story that there's something we must do to save ourselves. The author of Hebrews says, let us go outside the camp. Let us go outside the camp. Charles Spurgeon, in a a sermon he gave on this particular passage, talks about this. And talks about, and I read this sermon. He he wrote all of his sermons out word for word. And then he got up and used a note card to preach them. A great British preacher in the 1800s. A great British preacher. He, um, along with his preaching, he took a strong stand against slavery and, and it cost him. He uh, established orphanages, Bible pastors training school that's still in existence. Uh, he was a well-rounded, was a, was, a, was, a, was a fine man who touched many, many lives. London's preacher. And he talked about this passage and he also made the application, friends, that Jesus went outside the camp to where the outsiders were. He died outside the city gates. Come outside the camp because he went to where 
sinful humanity was. That's why he didn't die in the tabernacle. That's why his blood was poured outside the city gates. That's why we are to continually go outside the city gates. And there's two applications here. One application, if you do not know Christ as your Savior, there is only one way. I know in our culture, in our society, it sounds very exclusive. Um, But Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one, I mean, Jesus said this, no one comes to the Father except through me. There's no halfway or partway. You're either saved or you're not. You're either forgiven or you will have to pay for your sins in judgment. There's no part way. The offer of salvation is free. It's gracious. Because God loves you so much that Jesus came and died on the cross to pay for your sins. And because of that, anybody can come to where Jesus died. He came to where I was. When I received Christ as a child, same age as many of children Bible adventure this week. And some of you in this last year, he came to where you were and died for you. And Spurgeon also, as we come to share the bread together, I want to just read that. I thought this was very, very, very good. Because Jesus, the apostle here says, let us, the verb here is let us continually go outside the camp. And even as we are saved, it's good to remember that we are secure and, and, and safe because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And there's a continual application to us. And Spurgeon, who believes strongly in eternal security, as we teach in this church. This, I thought this was very interesting. I just think as we come to the bread this morning, because maybe, maybe some here can relate to this. But believer, this is written in the 1800s, did you never feel, feel as if you too were unclean and outside the camp, he's writing to believers. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you just a little of my own heart's feelings. It's great Charles Spurgeon. And let me see where you have ever felt the same. You have often known yourselves to be children of God. I have felt myself with much joy to be certainly assured of my interest in Christ. But suddenly, sin has surprised me. Some unhappy propensity has developed itself. And I have felt as if I could not meet my God. When I was on my knees in prayer, I seemed as if I could not pray. I felt like the unclean one that must be put outside the camp like Miriam. And when I have come to the house of God, I have felt as if the lowliest Christian there were so much superior to myself. This is Charles Spurgeon writing this. That I would have been glad to have been a footstool at their feet. I would have crept into any part of the fold if I might have known myself to be the lowliest lamb in the flock of Jesus. I have seen the deacon, and I have seen the church member, and I have thought, brethren, you are happy, but my heart is sad, for I am not worthy to be called God's son. Father, I have sinned, I have done grievously, and have transgressed transgressed against you. But, brothers and sisters, what a mercy it is that when we are outside the gate, Christ is outside the gate too. Does your conscience shut you out of the church today? Remember, Christ shut himself out too. 
He was despised and rejected of men. Do you feel as if you cannot come to his table as he gave the sermon before communion? That your master would spurn you from it? Remember, if you are his, you are welcome. For his table is where his cross is. And his cross is outside the gate. Come. And I invite all of us today. And I'm going to invite our elders to come forward at this time. And I'm going to invite all of us that know Jesus Christ as Savior today, even if you feel as Spurgeon felt at times, to come today and to be reminded that we celebrate the body and blood of Jesus Christ, the blood that was given to cleanse us from sin, the body that was beaten and abused, but rose from the dead. This is our story, friends. It took place outside the camp. And we come today as sinners, every one of us, you know and I know it, but we come to celebrate and rejoice in the hope of the resurrection, the assurance of forgiveness for sins, and the grace and mercy of a loving God. We're going to serve the The Apostle Paul reminded the Corinthians, the night our Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and said, break and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Let us eat the bread. Father, we thank you for this reminder. This is a memorial. It's a reminder of the body of our Lord Jesus Christ that was battered and was bruised and it was broken. He died for us. But he was not sinful. He did not have to be purified. And because of that, he is the only sacrifice that can save us from sins. For that we rejoice this morning in Christ's name. Before we receive the cup this morning, uh, Gary asked me earlier in the week as he was planning the worship service, you want the tone of the service today to be celebratory or sort of somber? And I said, well, let's celebrate. Um, now I'm not sure what tone you picked up today, but uh, this is a celebration. Well, that was before Friday. Uh, after Friday, um, life was a little somber with our brother Steve Lowen uh, being called home. And it's sad. It's sad. There's no way around that. It's sad. But we do celebrate. I, I got on the phone when I came back to my office after being up to the hospital with his family, and I, I called uh, Mark McDonald, Jim Fossey, Steve Perkiser. Five of us grew up from pre-K to graduation. Four of us went to college together. So it, it's, it's, it's a sad loss. And I know his family feels this loss today, and we as a church family feel this loss today. But we do celebrate. Because I'll guarantee you this. Steve was not afraid. He was not afraid. His faith and assurance and confidence was strong and secure to the end. Amen? And so this last sentence from today's passage. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. 
And I know in this context, there is a new Jerusalem, as Revelation describes it, is to come. But the Apostle Paul, likewise in Galatians, in Galatians chapter 4, he describes the city that is above, the Jerusalem that above is our mother. Meaning that we have a future. We have hope. We will, we will see our Lord Jesus Christ alive and all of those whom we love, whom God has called home, and there have been many, and the older we get, the more there are, we will see each other again. Do you really believe that? Friends, that is a celebration. That is joy. That is hope. And that is why we share the blood of Jesus Christ in memoriam as we drink this cup together. It is the only detergent that purifies and cleanses from sin and brings us to that hope. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church that he was betrayed. The Lord Jesus Christ shared the cup with his disciples, his brothers. They reminded them that this cup represented the new covenant in his blood. And when we drink it, we do show forth his death until he comes. This is a service that we remember our Lord's death. But in Scripture, his death is always connected with his resurrection. On this first Sunday of the week on Resurrection Sunday. Let us drink the cup as a reminder of the joy and hope of our salvation. Father, once again, the empty cup reminds us of the empty tomb, reminds us of the hope of the resurrection. It reminds us that for those of us who, because of sin, were outside the camp, our Lord came to us. He came to us, died for us, rose for us, and has brought us to you, Father, whom we love, and with joy this day call you our Father. And in Christ's our wonderful Savior's name, we proclaim this, and we say it together, Amen.